Hey everybody, this is Vin. Thank you for joining us for another episode of Dakota 40. Before we start the show, we need to pay some bills. This episode is brought to you by Creamy.one. Creamy.one. Creamy is your premier source for adult toys and goods. They carry unique brands for empowered singles and couples interested in exploring their sexuality. So head over to Creamy.one. Creamy.one. That's C-R-E-A-M-I-E dot O-N-E. Don't forget to use code DECODEN40 for that 15% discount. Creamy.one. Now, let's start the show. I like the caramel and I mix it with the other oat milk and I blend it with my coffee and I create like this coffee experience. This is Bustelo without dairy in it. You just made it sound worse. This is Bustelo with no dairy. Like, okay, nigga, calm down. Nigga, fuck y'all, okay? <laughs> this is another episode of Decoding 40. This is Mac, a.k.a. Mr. Raw, making all your fantasies come true. This is L.O., live from BK, but residing in Harlem. What's up, it's your boy Vin, a.k.a. Vinny Pugazi, master of impressions. Yo, what's up, this is Howard, and I'm talking directly into the mic. Welcome to the stage, guys. <laughs> uh, Google, I just do heroin. That sounds gross. No, y'all just trying to play me out. Oh, I'm being a packer. <laughs> What's up, ladies and gentlemen? Welcome to another exciting episode of Decoding 40. My name is Mac, a.k.a. Mr. Rock, and I'm here with my main man. What's good, everybody? This is your boy L.O.A.K.A. ASAP Riri. Yo, what's up? It's your boy Vin in the building. Hope everybody's good out there. Peace. This is Alaric. I said Alaric. What'd you say? I said Alaric. Oh. (laughs) (laughs) So what is going on in your lives, fellas? I got two funny little gems. Uh, the first is I uh, went to McDonald's last week and got what turns out to be the most healthiest meal on the menu, which was uh, <laughs> oatmeal. A, a cone? You didn't even get that. Got a cone? <laughs> it, was, it was oatmeal. Oh. I didn't know but um, I did not know how to order. <laughs> <laughs> That's how long I it has been since I have been in a McDonald's. So now they have these kiosks where you have to place your order and then go to the counter to get your order. Oh, fancy um, McDonald's. Yeah. So I'm Wait, you don't I, go to the counter anymore and order your food? No, you go to these kiosks. And then uh, the kiosks see, well, the So instead of going to the counter and looking up and saying, uh Exactly. You uh, you're looking you at the kiosk. the kiosk and you say, <laughs> you're like, uh, 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 Bro, okay. it took me five minutes to order oatmeal. <laughs> Five minutes to order oatmeal. And people, the dude behind me is looking at me like, Damn. Do I want it with apples or should I just put some cinnamon in it? Right. I don't know what I want. I haven't, this oatmeal I have is not very tricky. felt my age 
so much in my life until I was in front of this kiosk. Are there nuts in this? I'm allergic. They ask you to get the the table number and scan this QR code, and I'm like, I don't have all this information. Prepare for a McDonald's order. Put retinal scan. <laughs> Yo, the computers are going to take us over and kill us yeah, all. Yes. So, um, I did wind up getting the uh, the oatmeal and um, was sitting in a corner, uh, sort of to the back of the restaurant. Um, feeling very old, I might say. And what would happen? Um, a f- almost fight broke out with some junior high schoolers, and I'm like, "Oh my god, just please don't come over here." Because I calm down, you whippy snappies. Pretty much, I don't want to hit somebody's kid, and then it's this whole thing. So that was my experience at McDonald's. One, I don't know how to order anymore, and two, it's way too violent for me to sit down and eat some oatmeal. The second little gem happened uh, has to do with my youngest son. So he's doing a unit on fiction versus nonfiction. He has to read a story and then he has to write about it. So he chose to write about George. Damn it. I can't think of George's last name for some reason. George is responsible for creating the Saratoga chip, which is we know now there's the potato chip. So he wrote this story. His teacher, or one of his teachers, writes a note on his uh, on his essay and says, great job, but we were looking for nonfiction characters or people. As to suggest that it's impossible for a Black man to be, have been the creator of the potato chip. So this kid is animated. <laughs> He's like, why would they say this? This is racist. They say a Black man can't do this? So I'm like, this is my son right here. <laughs> proudest, Max. proudest dad. He called, proud he dad. Called, he called. I can, he I can just see Leon lean back the, in the chair. Senators yeah. of all schools, <laughs> right. school senator or somebody. He got, so he got someone on the phone. I'm beaming. somebody. I'm beaming. The wife is beaming. We're, we're beaming. So we have him write a note back to his teachers saying, you know, when George uh, lived, when he died, when where he where he lived. And when he created the potato chip, do you know these folks only had the nerve to CRT. put a check mark next to what he wrote? Wow. They didn't read it. So now we have to write a note back saying we want to make sure that you understood that not only is this a non-fictional character, but you didn't give the same energy in telling him that this was or he was he was incorrect versus acknowledging the correction. So uh, it reminded me of a story that um, I think I told on this show when I was in junior high school and a friend of mine wrote a story about, or wrote an essay on how much of the uh, Greek mythology is based on Egyptian folklore. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And the principal pulled him to the side and said, hey, Craig, nice essay, but we both know that's not true. <laughs> we both know that. We both know. Wow. That's true. wow. So I, I say this to say that parents, you got to be careful about you yeah. know administration and teachers. Mister Carthorne, you have to it's be. just a little too much close to CRT, and 
Actually, Although it's really close to his paper. That's let, listen, everybody knows that potato chips are <laughs> everybody white. Everybody knows. Yeah, right, exactly. And Why would he make a white potato chip? A white person. So, yeah, that's a little CRT-ish. Yeah. It's making me feel uncomfortable. Yo, this is another example of why you have to be super, super on top of how these teachers, not not just how they're they're teaching them, but all these little influences. Because if, if your if your child wasn't as as well taught as you have, have prepared him, he might have just accepted that. Exactly. And and he's in he's he's at least in an environment where he will be upheld. Right. Mm -hmm. I fear for kids who are in environments where they're not they're they're not being recognized in that way. Right. Because they're going to get they're going to get lost. You know, those teachers, you know, you know, those you know, the teacher must have fucking looked that shit up. I was like, God damn it. Kid is right. (laughs) Pissed. And all he could do was check. It was was, I bet you it was a shaky check, too. (laughs) It's like, was he was he? Was he half black and white? I mean, come on, I had to have some whiteness to invent a potato chip. Something. But also, but also, this has to impact his trust with the teacher now. And teachers moving forward. Which well, means I, he's gonna question information in a different way. And that's the and part impact I love his overall that's education. Love and by the that's way, a, it's George that's Crumb. That's a good thing. George Crumb. And uh yeah, I, I t- that if of all things that happened and, and has come from this, I think him realizing that the teacher is just a person and they are not the uh end all be all of information and knowledge and that you have to be able to do your own research. And if you know something, stand on it. Mm. Or if you believe something, stand on it. He feels real good right now. Oh, he felt uh, Mr. Carthorne, everybody knows. Hold on. Everybody, everybody knows. Everybody knows that uh, Wise invented the potato chip. <laughs> it was an owl, sir. It not was a black owl man. that that <laughs> understand that. Okay. Now, it was if, a fucking if you owl. Said our owl created the chips, then we would have known it was nonfiction. But you saying a black man, stop it, sir. Everybody knows that owls are the they make potato chips. His name was Mr. Ruffles. It was it was Sir Ruffles Wise who invented the fucking potato chip. And Mr. Pringles who perfected it. Yes. You see, Mr. Pringles is on every goddamn container with the glasses. And his cousin Utz Wise. Utz Wise. Utz, Utz was the black side of the family. Um, he made the hot chips. Utz. Those spicy ones. Utz. <laughs> Uts really oh, means Negro in, in, in German. So we, we need to look up who made the first barbecue potato chip. I want to know who made the first barbecue potato chip. Oh, that's chip. a brother too. I don't even yeah. have to look that up. Yeah. I don't know, but you I think don't know. We're, we're, I don't know. Do we I love barbecue so. that much? Because so. I don't, I don't, yeah, I don't like, no. the South, the Midwest. Come on, man. It was us. One day while eating a potato chip. Sammy Barbecue Jenkins <laughs> dropped one of the potato chips into some barbecue sauce, and this happened. Woo wee! This is a good ass chip, barbecue chip. And the rest is history. This history. This uh, has been your Black History moment. <laughs> hey, matter of fact, we'll we'll be. This is going to drop in uh, yes. in the beginning of uh, Black celebration history. of Black History Month. So, uh, woo wee! This chip is it, good. Black fat. Yeah. And this is L.O. and I am done speaking. 
Welcome to Decoding 40, the hilarious comedy podcast where four longtime friends fearlessly and ferociously explore and decode the complex issues and thinking of today's grown-ass men. Come join Vinny, Alaric, Matt, and Leon as we give you a glimpse into what men really think and drink. This podcast is not for the faint of heart, but it is guaranteed to have you in stitches. This is a trigger warning. If you're sensitive about anything, you've been warned. I've been uh, doing well and just uh, started driving Uber and Lyft. And uh, it's an experience because some people talk and some people don't talk. And then when you don't really want to talk, people start talking to you and you don't want to be a rude asshole. And I guess it's refreshing because probably there's so many people who drive Uber and Lyft who don't really speak good English or don't talk at all. You've all had that Uber Lyft driver who doesn't speak very good English and, and it's like they grunt at you. So when the guy, I had a call, uh, picked the guy up from Newark Airport. And when he, I guess when I answered the phone and I was speaking perfect, you know, English, he was, he was quite surprised and he talked my ear off all the way uh, back from the airport to some part of Jersey. Nice guy. And then I, and then I, I think I might've got a listener. Uh, hopefully, I don't remember what the guy's name was, but he was like, "Oh, I, I, we, for some reason or another, I, I mentioned the podcast." And he's like, "Well, what's the name of it, man? I'll listen to it. I like podcasts." Some white guy. He's a he's an architect from Chicago. So if the white guy who's an architect from Chicago is listening, shout him out. And uh, that's pretty much it. Oh yeah, I want to uh, give a super duper birthday shout out to a man, Slink Johnson. He's forty nine. One more year closer from being out of Dakota and 40 into 50. So happy birthday to Slink. Happy birthday, birthday bro. You know, happy birthday, pimp. He's probably running the streets of L.A., uh, smoking immense, a whole lot of weeds and tweeds. And, yeah, yeah. Uh, and uh, shout out uh, with those million-dollar teeth you got there, now, brother. <laughs> yeah, he got some new choppers, he told me. He, he uh yeah, he he's he's doing well, man. Finally, uh Rockstar Games uh blessed the brother. So nice. shout out to them, you know, and shout out to him getting his getting what he deserves. But nice. yeah, man, he's he, he's out, he's out, uh happy birthday. And uh other than that, everything is pretty pretty much the same. Uh, this fucking winter, I'm realizing the older I get, the the more the less tolerance I have for cold at all i just i no, can't cold fucking sucks i can't snow take it sucks anymore. i hate it i hate it i had to shovel myself out of that shit uh yesterday and i realized that i'm getting old and kids don't shovel snow anymore how much snow did you get uh i would say at least uh six to nine inches i think wow this, this is uh one of the major reasons i love living in a building yeah mm-hmm. I had to sh- I had to shovel that shit then that, that morning when I got up and I was like fuck when I walked outside, opened the door the dog ran out and was like damn near covered in the snow, mm-hmm. and uh, it was just so much fucking snow and the worst part of it is is the driveway because you got to clean the driveway out if you want to get your car out you know what I mean so it's just it's a whole lot man I'm I just don't like the cold anymore man I don't like the shit and I I just got to get away from it. But other than my disdain of the cold, uh, you know, everything else is, uh, like I said, everything else is pretty peachy and creamy. Uh, and that's uh, pretty much it. That's my check-in. So, yeah, my check-in pretty much was uh, about the fucking snow. The snow sucked. So I basically left West Virginia where it was seven. Oh, actually, the morning, it was minus two degrees. 
So I took my hands out of my gloves for about two seconds and they were fucking frozen. But it warmed up to 40 degrees by the time it was 12 o'clock. It's fucking weird. Anyway, so then I have to drive back to New York and I'm driving back in a snowstorm, but it hasn't really started coming down really hard. And then I wake up in the morning and I, I think we got like a foot of snow. Really? I think it was a lot got, of snow. It was a lot of snow. It, it was, was, it was more snow than I've, I've, I've ever had to move. But you know what? Brooklyn and Queens typically gets more snow than Manhattan. Yeah. Well, I'm in Jersey City, so. Um, Jersey yeah, always gets more snow. We got, we got kind of pummeled and then it's just like ugh. when you put that when you you know how bad it's going to be when you put your shovel into that first pile of it and when you go to lift it mm-hmm. that fucking weight goes to your back like hey nigga get <laughs> uh, wait a minute you don't have a snow blower i have one of those snow shovels but the, it's the thing is is that when you have a snow shovel like that electric snow shovel i can't control where the actual snow gets blown so what happens is, you know, I'm you, you wind up hitting your neighbor's stuff or it shoots across the street. So I have to get a better get, one that kind of have a... Just get the shit out of your way. Yeah, really? So what? So what is his Nah, name? come on. You can't do that. That's just disrespectful. That's, I know that's you guys his problem. It's his weather. problem now. Oh, it's, wow. the <laughs> it's the weather. It's the weather. My wife said, my wife said to me, don't we have a snowblower? And I was like, no, I don't know what you're talking about. And then I'm like, oh, I forgot. There is one in the basement. When we got the house, there was one in the basement in the boiler room. Wow. And I pulled it out and it's an electric one. So I plugged it up and I start moving the snow. But it's it's not any faster than shoveling. No. It's just a little less back work because you don't have to lift up, you know, a full but you're still, push, you're still pushing it around. You're still pushing the shit. Yeah, I'm yeah. You still. We're at that age. We got to find better ways. We can't be out here. Shit. We got to find teenagers. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. There you go. There's, they don't do that Strong shit no more. Teenagers. There's no. Yeah. Teenagers. They don't do that anymore. You not in my neighborhood. You didn't. I didn't they don't see do any teenagers. Teenagers are not out here doing. They're not out here. Doing nobody's all. knocking on anybody's door to offer service. Well, that's well. I there was a guy in Brooklyn while I was working. He was like, you know, I'm trying to, you know, get some. But he was like 35. He wasn't. Hey, like, not a teenager. No, he's a he's a he was a grown ass man who probably just got out of. Looked like he might. Have he's a little. Too, he's well, based on his five years. Days. Five years short of being in that danger zone of uh, shoveling snow. Yeah. So, you know, heart attack. So I, I had to, uh, well, a neighbor of mine, he, he said he was going to be out of town and he asked that I shovel, you know, just give him a little pathway on his, on the sidewalk, but he's not right next door to me. There's a neighbor in between us. So of course I had to shovel hers too. I was because gonna say, did you skip it? That would have been, no, no. that would have been. That would have been, been foul. <laughs> that would have been super foul. foul. Look at this. She's, a, she's a single lady. She's a single lady with two. This is the woman with the daughter who was missing not too long ago. Yeah. Right? Okay. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. You got to do hers. You got to do her. I, I, so you, I'm like, you got to get neighbor of the year. You saved her. You found a daughter on the camera. You shoveled the snow. I didn't find her daughter. <laughs> <laughs> he's gonna. He's gonna visit her in the hospital with COVID. You are like out of control. You need to move next door to me. We went from finding her on the camera to finding her. No, I didn't to rescuing her single handed. <laughs> <laughs> Rick is Rick, aka first forty eight. 
No. Exactly. And who knew they still had wells? All, all I could do was tell her what out. time her daughter bounced. That's no. all I could tell her. No, so you didn't. By looking at my camera, she left yeah. about 7.45. Stop being modest. You saved that girl. Exactly. <laughs> you fucking exactly. called on Lassie. She's in News a well. 12 came by. News 12 broke. So, so I did two neighbors to the left of me Look and then did guy. one neighbor to the right this of guy. me. Oh you God. deserve so to be a Neighbors to the left of me. Neighbors to the right of me. Positively deserve to be in Beverly Hills right now. You are a model citizen. <laughs> I was out there for about two and a half hours. Fucking like, I had to go inside and take a rest, <laughs> relax, came back out, and finished. I know, up the I know that bourbon was really good. That after you sat down, because your your lower back mm -hmm. was probably hurting a little. Did bit. you did you drink and smoke after that? Nah, it was too cold. Because th then the temperature started to dip, so it wasn't even like you could uh, you could be outside and it's. It's cold. No, it was nah, so cold. Who the fuck wants to do that? Come on, stop. Yeah. And and plus, I was I, I was just over the cold at that point. Yeah. I I'd been outside for four days. Like this I don't want to be outside anymore yeah. <laughs> in the fucking cold. Yeah, I'm I'm over winter. Yeah. yeah. I never, I, Miami Miami was well, Miami was nice, but now I'm in LA and it's not cold. It's not hot either. It's not Miami, but it, it's definitely warmer than New York. And mm. I'm grateful for that, for this small reprieve from the weather. Um, and uh, that's my check-in, I guess. Fuck the snow. What's good, people? This is Alaric. If you like the show, then make sure you subscribe to Decoding 40 on IG, Facebook, YouTube, TikTok, Twitter, Tumblr, Reddit, um, Tumblr. Did I say Tumblr? Fluor. That's new. It's brand new. Just came out. Fluke, Etsy, Pinterest, Friendster, Hamster, X-Hamster. Oh, wait. That's my private account. Don't follow that. It's not. It's no. I didn't even I didn't even know it's no. It didn't even impact me. So it was very nice to have moved. I moved from a building to a, a complex and we have an association that does the snow in the front, snow in the back. So the worst part is that I had to take the garbage out in the snow and I was irritated about that. But other than that, I didn't have any snow and I didn't go outside. So it didn't really bother me. So that was kind of nice. Um, what else is going on? Um, work is a little hectic right now. Working like I'm working a lot. I got a lot of things, but I really been thinking about this. You can't and I put it on social media. You can't complain when you have too many opportunities because I could be in a situation where nobody wants to call my phone. So it's blessed when you have too when you have too much to do. That's it. I'm grateful for that. And what else? My daughter is walking. So I've been giving you guys steps. She is we she's we still doing the in-between hang on, but she's walking all the way across the room. Nice. And uh she's taking steps. And now it starts. We have to run around and chase her and all that kind of stuff. But um It's a beautiful time. Yeah. Your life is now different. It's it is hella different. It's hella different. And you I got an announcement next. We already had a playpen and then we got a bigger one. We got one that takes up like half the living room. It's huge. Okay. And then we just had somebody uh, come and help us design her room. So it's kind of nice and it's kind of enclosed so she can play in there without, you know, anything falling on her or whatever. There's one. There's still one piece of furniture I got to attach to the wall. I got to figure out how to attach that to the wall. Um, so she doesn't pull it down. But other than that, yeah, it's, it's, it's pretty good. And, I, you know, I'm thinking about 
stop eating dairy and stop eating meat for a while. I have gotten sick twice in the last week from dairy and very light. And I don't eat a lot of dairy, but from dairy and from chicken. So I'm just, I'm thinking, I'm just, I'm thinking about going over to Alaric's camp and, and, and trying to be a vegetarian for like six months to see how it works. Cause I, I don't want to get sick from food. And, you know, I, I shop at, you know, high quality places. I try to eat organic when I can. And I still, I got sick and I just, I don't want to get sick from my food. So you got to stop eating at the halal truck at two in the morning. So <laughs> 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 no it's more, organic. No more taco loco. <laughs> Hold up. Dude's like, loco. my friend, this is, this is organic chicken. It's organic. <laughs> my friend. And I ain't, halal. Ain't, ain't none of that out here. And, and both of those meals I made at home. Both of those meals I made at home. So I don't know. <laughs> so it's your fault. So, so it's your fault. Yeah, it's me. It's me. Yeah, I'm poisoning chicken. myself. Hello. Poisoning myself. That's what it is. Like spread salmonella all over the place. Yeah, yeah. That's what it is. You got to fry it all the way. You got to fry it hard, sir. You can't let it have any pain. (laughs) Speaking of frying, I bought a a deep fryer Mm. and it is amazing. A deep fryer? I bought a deep fryer, yeah. Yeah, that's some fast shit, nigga. <laughs> you saw his face. He was like, mm, "Plug it in." Yes, it is. Plug it in. You're gonna be in the bed frying chicken, and like, chicken comes out amazing. Though. Chicken comes. <laughs> if I get that bad, just shoot me, please. He uh, he's gonna be maple syrup on his fingers. Oh, this chicken is so good. I want some waffles. Yo, you saw that episode uh, of Six Hundred Pound yeah, Life? Yeah. No, but you talked about it yeah, before, and it just—I I don't even dead watch side it. deep fryer. Deep fryer. <laughs> just bring the chicken in. I'll, I'll season it. First <laughs> off, I cannot see how somebody would want to do that. I'll season it. Just bring well, it. Well, you can't get to the kitchen if you can't get Those, to the kitchen. You gotta cook the oil. Like that. Spl- the yeah, oil spatters don't even hurt no more. No, they well, don't. well, you gotta cover for the oil so it doesn't splatter all over the place. But it—it uh. it still is like. Why would you want this contraption next to your bed? Because you're you fat. want the chicken. You want the chicken. It, you it want smells the chicken. like home. That's Yo, so you, you, that that blanket must smell like Just, fried grease ugh. and funk. Mm-hmm. And and booty I juice. Can't re- it smells booty. like I can't reach my ass crack to wipe. Yeah, uh, yeah. And chicken. <laughs> <laughs> and they be, and they and they be and, and when they taking a shower, they be in pain. When they take a shower, if you are six hundred pounds, you're not taking a shower. You see them when they got they 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 kind of roll them over and then they they, they just that's not a shower. Spun, they they they're wiping them down, wiping it down. Okay, yeah, that that's not a shower. <laughs> Got to wipe you down with a little spray. Hydrogen <laughs> 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 peroxide to get in the fold. Wow, oh, oh, lift up your fold. <laughs> it said, "Look how my lift up your fold." That's a lot. And that should be sizzling. <laughs> sizzling fat meat. Oh. Like the like the like the exorcist. Some holy water. Oh, oh my god. Wow. Oh, okay. I didn't mean to diverge <laughs> to the oh, what were we talking about? I don't know. <laughs> 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 <God over there. laughs> Mac was talking about becoming a vegetarian, but you know. Uh, yeah. oh, and and, and apparently spell, uh, spreading salmonella all over the place, making yeah, himself yeah, sick. Yeah, yeah. That's not a cooked chicken. Yeah. Don't yeah, not a so, chicken. You got to put it in the grill, man. That, that that cooks it. No, I grilled it. I grilled it. Grilled is fine, but um, yeah. But you know, I mean, did you watch everything? everything? Is, 
If it's pink, oh, yeah, yeah. don't eat it. If it's still bleeding, don't guys, eat it. I'm not that bad. I'm not that bad. Come on, I know how to clean chicken. I know how to. I know how to soak it. All that, but it wasn't. It so wasn't what, that. It was he's like cooked. clean, and I just take it right out the pack packaged. Yeah. Um, what do you soak like it? In? <laughs> do you soak lemon. it? In, uh, put it in lemon. Lemon and water. Lemon and water. Lemon you need water. to put some vinegar and water. Yeah, I was gonna wherever, say wherever you're getting your chicken from is bad. They're giving you not, fucking four four day old chicken. Not getting. <laughs> I'm not getting. It's not that. It's not that. I think. I think it's just my stomach is just like I need a break. I don't think it was the chicken. Did you? Because I had the chicken over. It? I baked it and then I grilled it. Yo, I don't. I don't. Ever was it want pink in the middle? No, it was not pink in the middle. I wouldn't have ate pink it if chicken. it was pink in the middle. Mm. Pink chicken in a plastic bag. Causing salmonella. That should be the name of the episode. Pink wow. chicken in a plastic in a bag. Plastic bag. <laughs> I'm going to salmonella. Um, <laughs> all right. Well, okay. So, yeah. So, you're going vegetarian. Yeah, no. I, I'm, I'm thinking about, or at least partially, you know what I mean? Like, like just eat a lot less meat. Basically, I mean, I'll be honest with you. I am also thinking about plant based uh, diet. I have a uh, cookbook somewhere around here that I am going to go shopping for this weekend. And I'm going to definitely reduce my uh, poultry and beef intake. Yeah. Just remember to to replace with good leafy greens. Oh, for sure. Like the thing is, I actually eat a lot of. leafy greens and, and vegetables. So mm-hmm. really this is just taking that I guess that triangle from the plate. Because when I, when I stopped eating meat, I did it the wrong way. What'd you do? Just cold turkey? Just cold turkey and I I just thought, oh I just eat more pasta and pizza oh. mm. and, and things without meat on it. But not I didn't replace it with vegetables. Gotcha. I did I didn't I didn't and I became anemic actually because my iron uh, this nigga was a pizzatarian. Talk- <laughs> 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 he was a fryatarian. French fries and pizza. <laughs> I'm a pizzatarian, nigga. <laughs> Only the finest cheeses and sauces hit my lips. <laughs> <laughs> and, then, and then you pass out a couple of times, you, you try to figure it out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't want that. I don't want that. Yeah. Yeah. I think we're so, yeah. So that's that's my check-in, fellas. All is well, just you know, doubling down, trying to trying to make it to spring. Make it to spring. But happy, happy Black History Month to everybody out there. Uh, you know, whether you are, whether you are of African descent, whether you are African American, whether you're from the Caribbean, or whether you are just anti-racist, we welcome you to Black History Month. Well, I just want to say, even though it's Black History Month, uh, Black History is all year round. Just consider this the starting point. And when the teacher says a potato chip is not invented by the black man, you got to slap the shit out of him. (laughs) (laughs) You got to stand. Every time you eat a chip, bitch, say thank you. (laughs) Say thank you, bitch, for the chip. Shout out to George Crone. You hear that Uh, crunch? Yeah, uh, thank you. You're welcome. Thank you, Black. Thank you, Black. Just a reminder for you to remind the teachers of your children, black history does not start at cattle at chattel slavery. Mm-hmm. Oh, for sure. That's not where we began. No. Well, where did you begin? I thought you guys were always here. We we brought you here. 
and it do, and it doesn't Where jump to from? Martin Luther King. It doesn't it doesn't go from slavery. And that's and too much. We're not going Martin Luther King makes me feel bad, so we're not going to talk about that either. <laughs> I get so irritated the way they treat King. I just it it burns me up because there is no which part? real which is no real um no one's tackling his actual work like they focus yeah. on the dream part but my two favorite books were a uh, letter from the birmingham jail and the strength of love if you if you wrestle with the text in those two books you really get to understand where king is coming from well they they never they never discuss the last 4 or 5 years of his life because you know all those all the works that follow it the reason why you know and the real reason why he got killed was because he started to transition to a more universal message and started talking about poor versus rich exactly he was war on a challenge the that's, capitalistic system yeah, yeah when absolutely. you do that when you fuck with a dollar it's a problem you know and the same thing with Malcolm Malcolm wasn't dangerous until he started talking about university you know universal uh peace getting you know sitting down with king and his organizations for the betterment of black folks that's when they want to get rid of you you know what's funny i was watching um boardwalk empire mm. and didn't realize that fucking jager hoover goes back to the 20s yeah he was in the fbi since the 20s yeah oh my god anyway pos yep What's well, good, Dakota 40 family? Thanks so much for listening to the show. But don't keep it to yourself. Make sure you tell a friend to tell a friend. Spread the word. Decoding 40. We are super, super excited about our next guest. We are big fans and followers of, of our next guest who on his website cites him as a rapper, promoter, and radio personality, but he is definitely one of the most well-known voices in any party that you go to that's hot and popping. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Decoding 40, Mr. Fat Man Scoop. How are you, sir? Yes, sir. Bless, 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 bless. Bless just to be here, bro. I, I got to tell you, it's, it's hard to say your name without screaming and saying Crook and Clan right after it. Like, <laughs> that's how I've, I've grown. We have grown to know you. You've moved. You've moved us at many parties. Yeah. Thank yeah. you. You know, my relationship with the Crooklyn Clan is not the best. We don't really talk, but there's one thing that whether I speak to them or not, no matter what happens, our names are connected together together forever. Yeah. Fat Man School Crooklyn Clan is like Ghostface Raekwon. Right. Mm. Eric yeah. Sermon, yeah. Paris Smith, Run DMC, uh, you know, any combination, Starsky and Hutch, like, and, you know, any, like any peanut butter and jelly, like anything <laughs> that you can think of that's a com that's a guaranteed combination. Yeah. Um, that's what Fat Man School Crooklyn Clan is. And and no matter what, I'm I'm highly thankful for them because yeah. I changed their life, but then at the same time they changed mine as well. That's beautiful, man. Well, I'm actually glad you started. I, be faithful, huge. Like, I remember first hearing this in the club, like, I don't have $50 in my pocket. I can't put my hand up. <laughs> now, you always lie. I put my hand <laughs> up anyway. I always put my hand up. No, but after that, I always had money in my pocket after that. So it, was a, it was a teachable moment in the club. Right, right. Like, how, how do you... Like, how did you feel? First of all, I mean, I don't even know how to really ask this question other than how does it feel to have a record that huge globally? Well, I'm going to tell you like this. 
And I say this a lot of times in, in, in interviews, man. I am just the custodian of that, man. That's, that's God, bro. Mm. And that was because I did that record to... to I, I was already popular as Fat Man School. Okay, I was already on Hot 97. I was mm -hmm. already doing my thing. I was already in a good place. But I did that record to put my brother through Hampton. Mm. And he got through. He did his thing. He wound up working at Dev Jam and he ran Maybach Music currently. He's the um, VP of Black Music at, at, at our Arista Records. But I did it to put him through school. Mm. You know, my parents didn't have the money like that. So mm. I think that God said, oh, this what you're going to do, man? You're going to do something? Because every thought I had about making records had nothing to do with me. Mm. Mm. My only reason for making a record was, yo, I got to get this 40, this 40K up, and then this 50K up, and then this 55K up, and then this 58K up for him to get, to, get through school to do them th those four years. I never. There was never a thought of me saying I want to be famous or I want to be with Missy or I want to do that. It was never that thought. So I think that that number one is, is the thing. Like number two is because I was on an independent record label and there was no major, you know, push on it, and you know, it was no major thing until I got uh, a record deal in England. People don't look at it the way they might look at a Ja Rule or something that had that had the major push or whatever, right? Right. But that song is is either it's well, I'll say it's in the top three of party songs ever. Absolutely. Oh, for Absolutely. sure. Of, of guarantee, for sure. Right, I would say that I'll I'll um raw bass, it takes two. And then I don't know what I would make as number three. It would be like the three of those records. It would be or maybe like maybe let me clear my throat might be in there. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yo, you I'm hear? You hear? About, hold up. I'm talking about records that you could that like the, as soon the, as the top first five party records. Yeah. Ever. You hear that shit at bar mitzvahs? <laughs> Listen. <laughs> you hear that shit everywhere? If, Bro, the, if the crowd is looking a little lazy, yeah, <laughs> throw it on. Man, you you hear it everywhere, but you know, fucking Chinese part, any anywhere, <laughs> the club, the stadium, wherever, and and you know, I might not, you know, you know, sometimes I look at look at it and I say, I think I should be in the Hall of Fame. I think I should be in the you know the record the elite, not the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. All right, you're doing too much, bro. Even though I'm contribution, like, all right, bro, you're doing too much. You you know, take your your fire record and go about your business. But at least the hip hop Hall oh, of Fame, without a doubt, one hundred percent, the the contribution that myself and the Crooklyn Clan made, we changed the game. And there was nothing like what we did. We took the party element and we took it to another place. And nobody's been able to copy me ever since. So, you know, they try, but there's never there's never been a copy of me. So, you know, I think based on the, the longevity of this record, we now going on 28 years. You know, my son was a my son was one year one year old when this thing came out. He's a grown ass man walking around out here paying bills. And if you take the longevity and the impact and the consistency of that record, and then you also take 
You know what the Crookman clan did? All my real live niggas, throw your hands up. Mm-hmm. Throw your hands up. Boom, 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 boom. My first record, hands up now. Put them up now. If you take like five or ten of those records, you take them out of the Matrix, man. You're missing parties in the 90s. Mm. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Sure. Yeah. yeah. And I, I love the story because I've heard you tell a story about your brother. He went to Hampton U. Shout out to HBCUs. How did you keep that focus, though? Because that that to me is... You know, as as fathers, um, we, you know, we have kids and we want to make sure that our kids and all our siblings uh, are in a better position than we are. What what was it inside of you that said, OK, this is what I have to take care of? Well, well, well you know, it was simple, man. My brother is 11 years younger than me. And because of certain things that were going on in my household, my dad was there. He was there. He was there every night. But because of things that were going on in my household, I was like his father. I picked him up every day from school. Wherever I went, he went. He was around my friends. Like, everything, he was like, you know, I'm 11 years old. You know, I was was almost like his dad. So when it came to putting him through school, it was like, who else going to do this? And Mm. I am the most undisciplined person in the world. I I, I am the biggest procrastinator. I am fucking... The top of the top when it comes to procrastination, bullshit, <laughs> fucking around, looking at Instagram, going in the other direction, big booties on fucking it. I'm like, I'm the worst, man. I'm the worst. But when I gotta dial in, mm. I dial in hard. Can I can I you, you can, just sound you just I, sound like me right there when you said that shit? Can I ask you to take it take it back, take us back for a second? Like, how did you get involved in the music industry? What what was your entry into I'm I'm gonna take him back. I don't know if you remember this. I remember meeting him before he was famous. In a, he was working in a closet at a record label. I'm gonna say the name of it. He was working in a record label with with Brian, and they was working in an office no bigger than my my walk-in closet. And they was in there working. And I got it. And I and I want to shout you out, brother, because you didn't know me from a dollar. You were very cool. You were very nice. You were very welcoming to me. And then five minutes later, you were famous. And every time I met you, has been you've been the same brother, man. So you, wanna, you know you know why, bro? Because I'm not one of them dudes, man. Like, I don't believe in that shit, man. Like, you know, in the music industry, you have ups and you have downs, you have peaks and you have value. You go, you go up and down, man. You know, money, power, and fame only make you more of whatever you were from in the beginning. So if you are asshole in the beginning, you're gonna be more of an asshole. If you are a good guy, you're gonna be more of a good guy. If you're a regular dude, you're gonna be a regular dude. I just, you know, I was never that person. That's my personality. And mm-hmm. nobody can ever say that I changed on them, man. Like, I never changed on nobody, man. I never let the money move me. I stayed around the same dudes I usually been around all my life. I, you know, I didn't get extra. Um, I can't point to a time that I got extra. I did go a little crazy with the ladies. With the ladies. <laughs> but, ladies. But, I, I had to, you know, with the of ladies. Of course. But, you know, but but I didn't, you know, other shit, I was, you know, I, I've been the same guy the whole time. My entry into the music industry came as a young rapper. I used to be part of a group called the Biz Boys. It was me, a dude named Sean C, and a dude named Steve D. And uh, they were a competition crew called the X-Men. The X-Men were a turntableist DJ crew mm-hmm. that was formed to go against Clark Kent's Superman. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. And um, I was the only rapper in that collective. And then uh, Steve left the group. He went to do stuff with Teddy and Michael Jackson. And then we had a young DJ come in who was one of, he was in, in our collective, very young. I couldn't have been more than 12, uh, 11 or 12 when he first got with us named Rock Raider. And he wound up becoming a grandmaster. And, um, you know, he, he, he became, he, he, he wound up reaching grandmaster status. And I started out with this group and I was under the tutelage of my mentor, DJ Chillwell. And um, Chillwell was a DJ for Dougie Fresh. You know, so basically my mentors were Chillwell, my direct day-to-day mentor, and then my mentor was Dougie Fresh. Because basically being in the Dougie Fresh system in Harlem, yeah. it was like being in a the minor leagues, farm team, you know? Mm, so right. you're under those people and you learn their ways. And um, I did a lot of shows, performing 201, the YMCA, all that kind of stuff. And kind of, you know, got my, my feet wet in the game. I, um, I signed with Teddy Riley because I used to rap in Teddy Riley projects. And um, I knew his brother, Markel, and he got me signed to GR Productions, which is Teddy Riley. That that ended. And once that ended, I was going to go sign with, with Puff. So DJ Chill Will took us to Puff. And uh, Puff was like, you know, he wanted me to, he wanted me to basically be the first Biggie Smalls. He had that dope idea from the beginning of a fat dude that was like a street dude. And then he got classy somewhere in my soul. I knew I couldn't, I couldn't pull it off. I was doing hard raps, but I was dancing like Dougie mm-hmm. and performing like Dougie. So somewhere, it, you know, there was a disconnect and I always knew that um, I wasn't no gangster. I wasn't no killer. You know, like if you fuck with my family, of course, I'm going to, I'm going a, I'm to a become an animal. But I wasn't on no day-to-day smacking niggas up. You know, there was dudes in my neighborhood that was doing that. And I always knew that if I rap hard, I had the sense to know I was going to have to get those guys involved. If I get them involved, then trouble comes everywhere I go. I'm a comedian, not a a killer. You know what I'm saying? And and I think that in hindsight, that was one of the the best... decisions I made, you know, being real with myself and saying who I was. And I gave up the music industry. And I, you know, one day I went to Puff and I said, yo, Puff, what can I do in the music industry that's not rapping? And um, he said to me, yo, you should be in record promotion. I said, who the fuck is that? He was like, yo, man, that's when you call the radio stations and you ask them to play our records. He said, yo, man, come down here on Monday. And um, I think that Puff thought that I would get tired of doing the grunt work and be like, yo, man, it's easier to be a rapper. I could get girls and I get money and fuck chicks. And during that weekend, one of the dudes I went to school with, his name was Diamond D. Um, he was he was, he was a rapper named Diamond D and a producer, you know, digging in the crate school. And I asked him, I said, Joe, can I come down to your label and see if I could be an intern? And I went down to the label and I started the next Monday as an intern. Opened up about twenty eight thousand CDs and changed the the label on every CD because they had made a mistake and you know people cats were down there being interns calling their girlfriends and sending chicks records and CDs and all mm. kinds of shit and again very unfocused dude procrastinator but when it's time to dial in 
I dialed in and I dialed in so fucking hard. You'll never believe it. A year and a half of working basically 20, 18, 19 hours a day between having a regular job and then getting off the regular job. And I had a hard job. Like I, I had a physical labor job and get, taking an hour what were, you, off. what were you doing at that time? I was doing something. I was working at the laundry in Mount Sinai Hospital. So my, you know, if you've ever been in the hospital, you know, when when you bleed on something or uh, a baby takes a shit on something or you got to wipe an old person's ass, all yeah. that stuff goes into a laundry bit, a laundry chute. And then it comes down into this thing and it's all pissy, bloody, any oh kind of God. thing you could think of linen, it's all soil linen. And yeah. you, you're down there and you're dodging needles and shit. And, you know, it's just a, a lot of crazy stuff that goes, you know, in, in, in that job. And, I, you know, I say, yo, I can't do this anymore. And I made the commitment to work for a year and a half. You know, I worked from 7 to 3. I got on the bus in the morning, 5 o'clock, fell asleep on the bus, get up and get to my job at 7, work from 7 to 2, take a shower, get on the train, go down to 23rd Street, go to the job at 3.30, work from 3.30 to 12, get back on the fucking thing, sleep four hours, do it all over again. And I did that for a year and a half. And I wound up becoming, you know, I, when they when I first got in there, they, you know, they had me sweeping the floors and shit, like typical internship. And I just never quit. So when they would, when I would do something, they'd be like, "Yeah, kid, do something else." And I'd be like, "I do that shit." They'd be like, "Yeah, kid, do something else." And I do that shit. They'd be like, "Yeah, kid, do some do." And I just did that shit over and over. And um, I remember my 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 mentor Dow Lockhart giving me a list of radio people to call. <laughs> and at this time, there was no Hot ninety seven. It was just college radio, but. He had the top of the college radio people, and he gave me, like, the fucking D-list, the, the piss boy list. Mm -hmm. And he said, call them, make sure they got our records, and talk to them. And I did that shit. Then he was like, yo, you're killing that shit. He said, take the C-list, bro. And I was like, all right, fucking killed the C-list. So like, yo, take the B-list, man. Just The people I can't fuck with, get to them. And I would, got to them, and I started killing them. And then I'm working for free. I'm doing all of this shit and I'm, I'm busting my ass. And one day I get a call from Albie Ragusa from Tommy Boy Records, another one of my mentors. And he said, hey, Scoop, what's going on? I said, I knew who Albie Ragusa was because Albie Ragusa was Puff before Puff. He was a dude mm -hmm. who put the Tommy Boy covers together and all like he was the creative genius behind Naughty by Nature, De La Soul, House of Pain. Like, he was he was a marketing beast, man. And um, he said, hey, Scoop, what's going on? I said, who's this? He was like, you know, it's Albie Wagusa from Tommy Boy. I said, oh, shit, Albie Wagusa, I'm telling you. And he said, hey, man, listen, you know, would you like to come work at Tommy Boy? And I said, me? He said, yeah, yeah, you, man. And um, I couldn't believe it. And I said, why me? He said, because I'm going to tell you something. I got on the phone. And I started calling college radio and I said, and I asked him a question, who are the last three people that you spoke to? And he said, 95% of the time your name came up. I went down mm. to that, to that job. I went down to Tommy boy and with, I used to make $19,700 or some shit, some shit like that. I went from 
making 19,700 19, to six figures in about 45 minutes. But it took a year and a half to get there. Mm. Wow. Mm-hmm. So I love to hear stories like that because I think young people need to know what that grind is and and having a purpose. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Not just grinding for no reason and, and and being out there and and not knowing a direction, but you had, you had a purpose for doing what you were doing. Mm -hmm. And I I think young people need to need to hear more of that. Like it's not easy. It's going to be a grind, but commit yourself. They want the results. You know, you don't understand that. Nobody claps for you when you're in the dark. Mm-hmm. And nobody, nobody claps for you. Nobody, nobody wants to give you five. Nobody wants to have sex with you. No one wants to give you a head. No, no, none of the stuff that, <laughs> that nobody wants to throw money at you. When, you. when you're doing it in the dark, the question is, can you continue to do it in the dark with nobody watching until someone turns that light on? Exactly. Yeah. Love that philosophy. Yeah, I I love that account because it also talks about uh, there is no such thing as luck. You make your own luck through hard work. You do. You do make your own luck. You work for your own luck. Absolutely. You you know, you work for your own luck. And then if you get there, can you stay there? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Because the major thing that I see people do is think that you signed the record deal, you make it. No, my man. You better perform now, right? And you—it's an opportunity. It's an opportunity. an opportunity. You get to you get the you get your entire life to write your first album, but can you do it again? Mm. And that's what made people like Biggie so special. It's very rare that someone get better on their second album. Hundred percent. Cuffing season has officially started, and where else can you get your cuffs and all things in your sexual survival kit? Creamy.1. Creamy.1. Creamy is your premier source for adult toys and goods. They carry unique brands for empowered singles and couples interested in exploring their sexuality. So head over to Creamy.1. That's C-R-E-A-M-I-E dot O-N-E. Don't forget to use code Decoding40 for that 15% discount. Creamy.1. Let's get back to the show. We have a question here. We're, we're all fathers here. We talk a lot about fatherhood and we know you're a father and whatever. And so what advice do you have for fathers? What have you learned as being a father? How tough is it being a father and also being in, in the entertainment business? Well, I'm going to say something. And I say this all the time. And I, I had a major problem with my kids because they didn't understand how I was saying it. And they thought that I meant nothing. They meant nothing to me. And um, we wound up mending those fences and are still mending those fences. If being a father is a full-time job, if you want to be in the music industry, you cannot have kids. You, you cannot have a relationship. Can't have shit. You, because everything you do has to be dedicated to getting to where you need to go. And I tell people, if you want to do this at a high level, you can't be a father. You can't be somebody's boyfriend or girlfriend. It's not, it's not possible because, and this is what I was saying when I, you know, about my kids. I would I used to say, I wish that I never did, you know, had kids. And it wasn't that I was 
disrespectful to them because I love them. But when you do what I do, you put an inordinate amount of emotional pain on your kids. I don't care what you see dudes taking pictures with their kids and the kids look happy and shit. All that shit is cool. But when the lights go off and you at home, but your dad is in X, Y, and Z because it's a holiday or your dad is working here or whatever, you could be in a big-ass mansion, but if you're if, if the person you love is not there, it don't mean shit. You know, yeah. my, my kids grew up in a $1.6 million house, but I wasn't there. You had Nintendo. You had fucking PlayStation. I had a fucking Range Rover, a, a 500 Benz, an ML350, a minivan, all kinds of shit. But I wasn't there. Mm. I wasn't there. And, and the biggest thing about me being a father is I wasn't there. And then because of how I grew up, I was some somewhat emotionally detached. And I was all about getting the money. So it was all about mm. money. It was like, yo, man, I got to go get this bread. Yo, I got to fly to Dubai to do this. Yo, the bread is in Germany. Yo, man, I understand this is Thanksgiving, but I, I'm going to eat for 20, 25 minutes. I'm going to get on this 725 flight. I got to get the fuck out of here. And because I had so much expenses and so much overhead and I was taking care of people, but I was neglecting my family. Right. And there's but, a level of resentment that those children have towards you, regardless of how much nice shit they got. They're gonna have resentment towards you. And add that with add that to a person who was emotionally unavailable, and now you got kids this angry at you. And um, oh man, I mean shit, man. <laughs> you know, you add that into COVID, and now I'm in the house with them mm -hmm. and I got to look at them every day. And then a lot of this shit is coming up and it forced people to take, take their feelings on. It was crazy. And I mean, it got real bad with me and my daughter, man. It got real bad. I mean, fucking bad, bro. How, how old is your daughter? Uh, she's 20. She's 20 now. She's going to be 21 mm. next year. Mm. I mean, this year coming in, uh, in June. Um, so it got so, so bad. I, I'm not even going to tell you how bad it got. It just got really bad. And then she said something, and um, it was really bad. And three weeks later, I got COVID. Mm -hmm. mm. And I think that gave everybody an opportunity to know you don't know what you have until it's gone. Mm -hmm. And I was, I had COVID. I had, first of all, I had COVID in 2019. I was one of the people who brought it from China in December of 2019. I had Are you serious? Yeah, I, I had this shit when they say, yo, man, this is bronchitis. Get the fuck out of here. Um, and I'm find out Fat like Man Scoop is patient zero. Oh, I'm definitely, days. if I'm not patient pa zero. He's patient eight. He's patient eight. He's patient eight. eight. <laughs> and then dude, I got breaking news. Breaking bro. news. Oh, yeah, fat Man Scoop I, is patient eight. I came, I came home, <laughs> didn't know what it was, got definitely sick. I was out there on the 14th of, um, I mean, the 7th of you know, December. Came home, got sick the day after Christmas, and I was so sick, I couldn't move, I couldn't do shit. Mm. Somehow I found the energy to get up and do my New Year's Eve show. I did the show, I was still sick, and I, oh, went, to you Dubai. COVID too. I went to Dubai, Jordan, and Bahrain. Mm. 
And I fucking pro- I was a super spreader, man. This nigga is the super <laughs> spreader. <laughs> but I didn't know what the fucking was. Uh, I Yo, man, my fucking Scoop still catching bodies. Still catching bodies. Like I was like, yo, my kidneys are killing me. He's like, yo, man, this shit is bronchitis, man. Walking off to take that surgery. And then I was crossing from like January to 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 like Valentine's Day. Mm, and then I wow. went on tour with Nelly. It was me, Nelly, Salt and Pepper, um, Shaggy, a bunch of other people, uh, Eve and shit. Kid and COVID. then that's when they said COVID. <laughs> and we did the last show, the last time they would let people get together. And then we all went home. And then that's when the um, quarantine took off. So then I then I got that COVID. Then I had a second COVID to slow me down, but I didn't really know it. Then I had the big boy COVID. I had Delta, and yeah, I was in yeah. the hospital for six days in intensive care. That shit was real. COVID magnet. Damn, yeah, you wow. got. You must have super antibodies. Now. Well, it's, that's yeah. the, the, the doctor said this nigga's an X Men. Yeah, Are you the, kidding the, me? the doctor said, "Yo, bro," he said, "Yo, do you realize you have three different sets of COVID in your body?" I was. You are now. You are now the super. But, COVID but I tell man. you this: when that real COVID hit me, that that was some shit now. Yeah. And, um, you know, when you are laying in the bed in intensive care, you can't even open, you can't even open, put your hand up to turn the light off. It'll make you think about a lot of shit. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I was thinking about my daughter and, you know, all the things I did wrong and every woman I dated and married and all kinds of shit go through your head. I came home and for some reason when I came home man, and I got COVID, I started crying all the time. Mm-hmm. Yo, I'll be I'll come home, I'll be crying about anything, man. I'll be crying about any, any fucking thing, man. And, you know, I think that I became more sensitive after dealing with that. I mean, I, I, I was crying about any fucking thing, man. And um, I started to become more sensitive and more understanding of other people's feelings. So in that respect, yeah. COVID was kind of a blessing for me. Um, because do you, do I probably think it was, would have never that would have never happened. Me and my daughter kind of fixing things would have probably never happened if that didn't happen. Do you think that the isolation really affected how you were thinking about things? Because what I, you mean I, when I, I was in the hospital? Just being because because being by yourself. What, in, in I, the, I had COVID. I had COVID in early 2020. Right in the quarantine, you mean? Yeah, when you yeah. when you're on your own and you're quarantined and you you have COVID. And no one's a- allowed to come around you. you, you you're forced well, to, to think about engaging your own thoughts, and and that's it. Woo! That's exactly what happened to you. You ain't got nobody to look at you but your fucking self. Yeah. And what happened was, I I had COVID pneumonia, so I didn't even know. Now I know the the signs to tell you know, your blood oxygen is getting low. This this this. You need to go to the hospital, whatever. But I didn't know, and I caught COVID pneumonia, and when you have COVID pneumonia, it's like pneumonia. You can't walk, you can't do nothing. If you ever had pneumonia, it's, it's the worst shit in the world, man. It is terrible. And I, I was so bad that when they put me in the room, they had cut the light off, you know, to let me rest. But I couldn't turn the light back on. So I couldn't even lift my hand to turn the light back on. So I, I stood there in the middle of the night, the whole night, and it, 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 listen, man, when you by yourself, man, that should make you think. That should make you think about everything, man. That darkness and that quiet. 
and you looking at your life and saying, am I going to make it out? You know, because I kept saying from the time they admitted me to the hospital, I ain't dying. I kept saying, yo, I ain't dying. I ain't dying. I ain't dying. Yo, I ain't fucking dying. To the point where they was like, yo, man, what the fuck are you doing? Like, the people in the emergency room were like, yo, what the fuck are you doing, bro? I said, yo, man, if I don't tell myself I'm not going to die, you mm -hmm. come in here with the wrong mindset with this shit. You going. Mm -hmm. And that was right maybe about four weeks after my man Fred the Godson had died. Mm -hmm. And I was like, man, I'm not me. And, and during that time, Black Rob died. Yep. Yeah. I think DMX died, Black mm -hmm. Rob died, and I think Humpty Hump died. Right, right. So, but Humpty Hump hadn't died yet. Right? Shot G and Biz died. died yet. Did Biz die around that time? Biz? No, no. It might have been, it was either Biz, DMX, Black Rob. It was somebody. It was a, it was like, was a bunch of people. MF right, Doom. It was just a bunch said, of people. Somebody said in my comments, yo, you know, niggas dying threes. And that, inadvertently saved me mm. because I got on the I'm not going to die shit. I want to tell you about a, a group of fucking Mooliants, right? They're called the Code of 40. I watch these guys on fucking YouTube. Great guys, right? I also listen to their podcast. But get this. These fucking guys are crazy. They left a fucking telephone number for you to leave a message with them, right? It's 608-618-44. It's 608-618-4040. I like to call them sometime and break their fucking balls and call them movies and stuff like that. You can do all that stuff. What's going to happen? They're going to come get you. Forget about it. 608-618-4040. It's your fucking life already. What you made me think about was how we were brought up to think that just taking care of our responsibilities in terms of bills, that's what the love was that's what right. meant that's what it meant to be taking care of family and not exactly support and not the you know leaning in on that and i was actually reminded that adele song um easy on me when she talks about i was just a child i didn't have the chance to think about all the things that were happening around me so now i know you've been twice divorced i heard you say that you're not going back down that road again are you still on that or like where are you at now with that i'm definitely with that shit <laughs> you know, I did it twice. It's no good for me, man. Like, you know, I'll date whatever, whenever that happens to be. I'll, you know, do what I'm gonna do. But I'm, I'm, I'm finished with that, man. No more of that for me. Um, mm -hmm. I paid about two point five million dollars in alimony, man. I'm not. I'm Yikes. no more. No more. Yeah, that'll that'll definitely uh, change your mind. But it's not even that, man. It's it's, it's the fact that. I've done almost, almost nearly half my life being married. Mm -hmm. So I think that at this time, for me, I need a rest. So I'm you're not saying trying. never again. You're just saying not. No, I'm saying never again, never again. Never <laughs> again. <laughs> He's like, nah, that's exactly what I'm <laughs> nah, saying. Nah, it's right. Like, I can have a girlfriend. <laughs> yeah. I, I, you know, I'm going to have a girlfriend or a lifetime partner or something, right. but it ain't right. going to be on paper. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not doing no paper, man. And, and if I start thinking about paper, somebody stop me, man. <laughs> yeah. if, if, if I spent $2.5 in alimony, nigga, I would get mad every time I seen the K. Julie commercial. Like, I would be... Every time I was in the mall, I would be mad. I don't look at it that way. I love both of those women. But I love them. 
Do, um, do you, you discourage know, people from getting married? You know what I'm saying? I'm, I'm still good with both of them. We have our, our different kinds of relationships. Um, one I'm really good friends with. One, you know, my the mother of my children, I talk to her every single day. Mm-hmm. I talk to her boyfriend. Like, shit is just like that. You know what I'm saying? So, you know, we raise kids, so we got to have a different kind of um, right. relationship. But at one point, it was really, really bad, man. But, right. you know, you know, I'm still cool with everybody, but I, I, I see a different path for myself. My, go- my goals now are to rebound from where I am now, which is not in the greatest shape financially because of the paying off the, I finally paid off the alimony and then now COVID hits us. So mm-hmm. it's just bringing myself from the ashes and coming back. But I can feel that I'm going to be back at my regular levels and more because now I'm going to be more focused. Absolutely. Yeah. So a lot of people will remember your uh, man and wife uh, TV show. That's my second um, wife. Yes. Was, so are people still reaching out to you for advice? And if so, what are you telling them oh, man, about marriage? Man, there's not a week that go by that somebody don't talk to me about man and wife. That, <laughs> that, that was one of the most beautiful times in my life. Mm. Because I was really in love and I was doing something with somebody I really love. And I was I was intent on making us go there, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I produced a show that was basically stand-up comedy. It, it you know? was an innovative show, because I remember it was one of the few shows that got my attention, because we, we interact with TV a lot different now. Like, when, mm-hmm. when we were younger, like 20 years ago, you had, you had to actually, like, sit down, watch the show, or you might catch the reruns on the weekends or something like that. So, what was that process like, in, in terms of getting the show, producing the show, and... Well, you know, I had, I had number one, I had a manager at the time named Charlie Stetler. He was really, really tapped into MTV. He managed Ed Lover and Dr. Dre. And um, my ex-wife was, she wanted to do something. You know, because when you're a stay-at-home mom, you get tired of that shit. And she wanted to do something with her life. And I was like, you know, I'm trying to do this shit so I can pay for keep everybody, you know, the bills go, but all right, I got to give you something to do. And one day we were in Hot 97 and I just brought her in and I read letters because I used to read letters on my show. And instead of me reading them by myself, I just made a tape where I would go back and forth with her. And I said, this is pretty good. I gave mm-hmm. it to my, my manager. He was like, yo, this shit is fire. And he put, he brought in a, 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 a talented brother named Alex Lasky. And Alex Lasky and myself went into creating that show. Um, it is a fact. I am the first black podcaster. Um, it's a fact. You can look it up. Apple Apple got behind me with that show, with the Man and White podcast, because I was really the only black person doing it. Mm, I was the only black person. When The first time I heard podcasts, Alex Lasky brought it to me up. The fuck is a podcast? And then, you know, we started doing it. And here's a funny story about how God works. God comes in to do like, it was like a paid interview almost, like a promotional interview, right? Mm -hmm. 
And they said to Funkmaster Flex, yo, you want to interview this guy? And Flex, man, fuck out of here. I don't want to do that shit. And they went to Angie Martinez. They said, Angie, you want to interview this guy? Fuck out of here. Come on, now, I don't do that. So what the fuck I'm going to interview him for? So they, I used to work in the middays. And they were like, Scoop, do you want to interview this guy? He's from Apple. I said, yeah, I'll do it. So I interviewed him. It was like a little interview on, a little quick interview on Hot 97 because they were promoting some shit with Apple. And that dude wound up becoming, being a guy named Alex Luke. And he was the head of iTunes at the time. (laughs) And I gave him the fucking thing. And he said, holy fucking shit, what is this? The next thing you know, I was up on the, you know, the sliding shit on Apple or on iTunes. I was up on that shit. And I was like the number one show. And then it just took off from there, man. And then, you know, I was on the radio. I was able to promote it. It was like the number one podcast and love and shit. And, you know, black people doing it, doing doing that shit. That was before Joe Rogan, everybody. And then, um, you know, we made so much noise with it. He was, my manager at the time was able to get it on him. Get it on MTV. MTV didn't want it because back then they were doing The Hills and um, what the fuck is that show? The Hills and I think 90210, some shit was on there, whatever. But I know I know The Hills was on there. And it was before they were allowing black people to act a goddamn fool on right. TV, right? Right, right. They didn't want, MTV did not want us. They were like, yo, man, we don't want, we don't want it. My man, Michael Hershaw, who used to run VH1, was like, if you don't want this, I will take this now. BT was like, listen, do you realize these are black people and this shit inspired? Give it to me. And MTV, you know, the kind of shit like regular shit. They might, like, somebody with power don't understand what it is, but everybody else fuck with it, so fuck it, I'm going to keep it. Right, and that's how we wound up on MTV. We had two successful seasons, and then um, you know things came to an end. It was a great show, and I think you were discussing things that just wasn't being discussed between black folks, right? Yeah, publicly, and and I think that was the beauty of it. That's the beauty of it, and that's that's kind of like what we like to do on this show. Also, we like to talk about those things that sometimes don't see the light of day. Yeah, you know what I mean. I agree with you, man. You know, it was a little bit of, I knew what to do. I knew what to wear. You know, I I wore heart-shaped boxer underwear and, you know, the church socks. (laughs) You know, church socks and I wore (laughs) socks. And, and, you know, that was a, that was a, that was a, and a a wife beater. That was like a a shout out to my dad because my dad used to dress like that. He would come outside on Fifth Avenue, because I lived on Fifth Avenue in Harlem, he would come outside with party socks all the way, because we used to call them church socks, party <laughs> socks. He would come up with the joint all the way up to the knee and then, like, fucking shorts and a wife beater. And he used to just be out there kicking it. Wow. And I just took it and added my own flair to it. So it was a shocking way for somebody that was fat to look and you know that shit got a little attention and then i just i just worked and you know we just got it going and that took me back to the days of bvds mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> what were those socks we used to wear with our british nikes it was like silk and like it then had like a, a pipe 
stitching like oh it's party socks Church those were the party socks yeah we yeah. called them something else in queens i can't remember oh, okay, we, used yeah, call- we just used to call them joints church socks party joints <laughs> yeah we called them church socks that's crazy well I listen man wait, i'm sorry i have one other question uh, um I'm, I'm curious to know your thoughts on the state of music and do you think that we have reached a point where it's going to go back to maybe the golden age of hip hop, or is that is Never that going, going back? No going, going back. back. Too much of a business now. Too much of a business. My my only regret is that ninety percent of the shit sound the same. Hmm. You know, I also regret the fact that Jay and Biggie were so talented that they fooled people into thinking that everybody could go off the top of the head. It's only for a select amount of people, man. You're right. And I think the speed of how records are produced and thrown out has affected the quality. And um, I think that people's consumption, you know, it's, 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 it's insatiable now. It's like, yo, man, give me that, give me that, give me that, give me that. And nothing gets to stick anymore because anybody can come out with a record. Anybody can come out with an album. And now everybody duplicates each other. So during the, during the golden age of hip hop, think about everybody in the golden age of hip hop. None of them sound the same. Nope. One DMC, EPMD, Rock Kim, Public Enemy, NWA, A Tribe Called Quest, De La Soul, Naughty by Nature, House of Pain, NWA, fucking, all these people, uh, uh, Far Side, all these people, none of them sound the same. Queen Latifah. You know what? Uh, I, the UMCs, I, I, anybody you pick, nobody sound the same. I still have hope in for hip hop because even in this day and age, the biggest selling artists are still lyricists. Whether okay, we're like talking who? about Jake, well, we're talking about Drake, we're talking about J. Cole, we're talking about Kendrick Lamar. Those are the upper echelon of hip hop still. Mm. And they're but there's no one, one, there's no one outselling them. There's no yeah, one outselling mm-hmm. that group that I just named. There yeah. are a lot of there are a lot of fast food underneath that filet. Right, right. There's That's a lot of fast food. The ignorance, yeah, the ignorance of hip hop. But the filet mignon, that rap, that hip hop caviar, as Spotify as they call it, that rap caviar, is still the 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 lyrical. Th- those are still the lyrical cats. Mm. And I think that they they and the people who have respect for hip the the the, the art of hip hop are still at the top at the very top. I mean well, the, the cream of it. I, you know, but I think there's more of the fast food of hip hop, and that's what the scary thing is. Yeah, you're right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, everything's mm-hmm. a thirty second TikTok now, right? So like everything is everything. You know, uh, there you go. While while TikTok is it, it brings a lot of light to. Um, you know, people from the middle of nowhere, it's also diluting what we would consider the original form of hip hop. You know, well, now anybody can be famous. Yeah, yeah. If you For get, sure. listen, if you get some, if you get someone to basically use your TikTok sample of whatever song it is, that's like selling records at this point. I mean, you, you're getting so, you're getting TikTok famous, but it translates to money eventually. So that's what a lot of kids are doing I, right now. You know, that's how they, I, I heard Nikki say, I heard I heard Nikki Minaj say something interesting. What she said is she says, You guys are following people that are popular, but when I came up, they had to be talented. And 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 he goes, and popular is more important today than talent. And that's that I that I thought that was I thought that was heavy. I thought that was oh, heavy but, but and, the, and accurate. 
but you also got to factor in the 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 attention span. Most people don't have the same attention span that they had years ago because everything is is given to you in in a microwave fashion. Yeah, you, I mean, you have so many different outlets that you can go to to get whatever you particularly want. You yeah. don't have to really uh, yeah. go anywhere else. You just go to that outlet, and that's what people like are dialed into certain things. And also, back in the day, we were captivated audiences, right? So we would listen to uh, Mr. Magic. <laughs> right, you had to have right. your fingers on a record right. and play, ho- ho- hoping right. that the hoping and that pause. the radio wouldn't be get exactly. staticky. We watched you had the music box from the beginning to the, beginning to the, the end. Yes, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Shout out Ralph McDaniels. Shout out sure. Ralph McDaniels. Sure. Listen, man, Scoop, we appreciate you coming on, man. We talked about some heavy stuff in the show, and we appreciate you being so transparent and open. But listen, what do you got going on now? Where can we look for you now? I know I'm, I'm sure the touring is off and on, but, but 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 what are you working on? You know, right now I'm currently trying to get a, a, a trucking business up and going, get my learns the stocks and the financial game. Like I'm in the process of. You know, working on, I'm, I'm getting ready to do a uh, online music industry course. I'm working on that. I'm trying to get that together where I take certain parts of the industry and break them down and, and, and give and give young artists an opportunity to understand how to operate in the business properly. But the touring is on and off. So my thing is, I'm in a time in my life where I'm consolidating, being smart about my expenses, making it easy enough for me to live where I can take chances like start a business, you know, stay at home two months and learn how to do trucking and things like that. And my goal is in three years to make as much money sitting in a seat as I do when I go out on the road. Mm, that's what's up. That's what's like up. It. I like it. I like it. I like it. Where can everybody find you online, man? Is Instagram the best place, Fat Man Scoop? Really, I live on Instagram, so that's the main place. Instagram, at Fat Man Scoop. But you can also check me on TikTok. You know, TikTok is at Fat Man Scoop. I love y'all. I'm out of here, y'all. Be safe. (laughs) Appreciate you, brother. Appreciate you, bro. We want to thank you all for listening to another exciting episode of Decoding 40. And we want to thank Fat Man Scoop for coming through and giving us a little piece of his life and being very transparent with us. Shout out to him. Make sure you follow him at Fat Man Scoop on Instagram. We also want to give a big shout out to Slink Johnson, friend of the show. It's his birthday this week. Make sure you go follow at Slink Johnson. Everybody who's listening, make sure you tell a friend to tell a friend. New episode every Friday. Follow us on all social media platforms and give us a call. 608-618-4040 and tell us what you think about the show. We'll see you guys next week. Any last words, fellas? Peace. 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 (laughs) (laughs) Decoding 40.